God, and he took care of it after Easter. I don't know about you, but I was sunburnt on Easter. Was anybody else? No? No. I had, like, you know, because I wore my sunglasses during the service. And I had, like, the sunglass uh, Donald Trump ring, you know what I mean, going on. And so it was uh, quite interesting. Um, just real quick before I get into the message, uh, we do, I'm just going to put it straight. You know, we have a lot going on. We're kind of opening things back up and all of our ministries and, and just running in a lot of different capacities. And, but, you know, we need volunteers. And so, you know, what's been amazing is families being able to come, especially families with, you know, kids in the kids program being able to come and then, um, you know, sit in service and, and their kiddos are being taken care of and, um, and taught and watched and cared for. Um, but we do need volunteers. And so uh, things are moving good. That's always a very positive thing. But if, if God is moving on your heart to volunteer, or if he's nudging you to volunteer, or if you're not listening to God and you pray, God, what should I do? How can I serve you? Um, pray that prayer and then come volunteer because we need you. Um, you know, there's ways you can do it. You can sign up on the app. You can go through the website and do it as well. Um, but right outside where the donuts are, uh, you know, on your way out as you grab your one to go, uh, there are these little cards here we have. And for the areas of need, you can just read through what the area of need is. And so right now, the highest is children's and facilities, kind of the setup and teardown. Um, we're not a mobile church soundhouse, you know, like where we came from at Rogers, but still there's a lot that we need to do every single week to make sure that we're ready and prepared um, so everybody can kind of come and relax and just anticipate in, or participate in the service. So those cards are out there. Grab one on the way out, and each person's contact is on there as well. So um, let's pray, and then we'll get started. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for just being able to discuss this series, much, much needed series. And God, I ask you to open our hearts, open our minds uh, to the movement, the work, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. And God, uh, uh, as we begin to dive into uh, that trait, that part of the triune God, the very presence of God, um, God, we ask that you guide us, direct us, give uh, myself, and as, as Chad does some of these messages, God, just um, uh, insight and wisdom, and, and um, as we read scripture and practices and, um, you know, all throughout, God, this entire series. God, we just leave this service open to you. Holy Spirit, you do what you do. You speak to the hearts of people. You make scripture come alive as we hear it or read it in our hearts. And I ask that, um, God, that throughout this series, we become more open to the very spiritual world around us and the very leading of the Holy Spirit. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in this series and um, just titled The Spirit. And, you know, this is one of these topics that, you know, it's kind of like when you do a sermon on giving, everyone kind of gets a little bit like, uh, I'm uncomfortable. It can be that way. And I think with the Holy Spirit, it, it, it kind of can feel that way sometimes because either it's not talked about enough or emphasized enough in a church, the Holy Spirit, or it's way overemphasized and we're talking about the Holy Spirit all the time. And that, that can happen from church to church and there is no judgment on any church. I've worked for a lot of different churches. Some 
uh, would be very Holy Spirit with an emphasis there and some with not really much at all. And so, you know, we, we at Soundhouse are right, kind of wanting to be right in the middle of that, you know, just good, healthy understanding of the Holy Spirit and the working of the Holy Spirit, but also like how he leads us and the practices that he leads us into and the gifts that he distributes, the Bible says. So we're just going to take a lot of time. We're going to go through spiritual gifts. We're going to go through uh, just the sanctification, one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit of just growing us up as believers in Christ. We're just going to take step by step by step all of the roles. So if you leave this series with, uh, with a lack of understanding of the Holy Spirit, I mean, I, I would just say that you need to stop checking your phone during service then because we're trying to really make sure that our church is very, very well equipped on who the Holy Spirit is, the role in our lives. In this Spirit series, it's just a deep dive into the workings and empowerment of the Holy Spirit historically, personally, and practically. And I think it's just so important today to talk about this. You know, it's kind of weird because when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it, it, there's a lot of different you know, views people have on the Holy Spirit. How does he operate? What is it? Well, you know, like even just trying to like, you know, kind of reconcile what, what, where is his place in the church. And, and, it's, and so, you know, some we've seen some very positive examples and some we've seen some very kind of like concerning examples of the work of the Holy Spirit or in the name of. And, you know, but I don't think it's turned off culture from seeking the spiritual world. It's really interesting. Culture is actually becoming more spiritual than maybe ever before in the history of at least our American Western culture. People are seeking out the spirit. They're seeking out something. I uh, I was going to save it for the end of the message, but I think maybe I just ought to read it to you now. I was reading all these different current studies that have been done by universities on gauging, you know, the supernatural or even the paranormal. And this is kind of where our culture is at. And I was a little surprised at the numbers here. But the studies say that they show that one in two Americans believe in spirits. One in two you may not, but the person next to you may believe in spirits. Now, that category goes from demons and angels to uh, the ghost of grandma. You know what I mean? Like, it goes all the way across the board, but there's something out there. One in two people in our culture believe that there are spirits. Shockingly, maybe more sadly, one in ten believe that there are actually vampires in the United States. So... I, I don't know what's happening. Maybe it was like Twilight or something. I don't know, but uh, that's shocking to me. One in three believers, uh, they, uh, one in three Americans believe they have actually felt the presence of a spirit. And that's across all boards. It can be in a religious sense and it can be in a paranormal sense. But they believe that I have felt the presence of some form of spirit around me. One in three 25% of people done uh, in this study by Chapman University, which was interesting, is 25% of one study believe you can, that, that they, they believe that they could a- actually move things with their mind and maybe even read minds. Now, that was surprising to me because that means a quarter of you could really remove me from the stage with your powers. <laughs> 
if you wanted me to. Rick, I know you wish you had this power and you could shut my sermon down, and, but I don't think you have the gift. And so I, <clears throat> I think that it's like interesting to even just some of the belief systems people are kind of, like kind of open to and in, in moving into. Now, this was really <clears throat> shocking and sad because so much doubt about God and wondering if God exists and and there's, uh, you know, this big thought that uh, there must be nothing. But 16% of the people polled believe, strongly believe, in Bigfoot. 16%. This was, this was a sampling of the entire United States, state by state. So it's a breakdown. And believe it or not, they even did it politically. So whether you're a Republican or Democrat, equally believe 16% in Bigfoot. Uh, what was interesting to me, though, of all of the states, the uh, state that had the highest and the most amount of all of these was the state of California. And uh, so we're killing it on this. And so I, I think people in our culture, let's bring it a little smaller, our state or our culture are searching for something more than what we see. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's natural. <clears throat> the Bible says that people kind of feel around in the dark, you know, searching for God. You know what I mean? And when the Bible says that we go from darkness to light and, you know, blind or, or, or deaf to hearing, it means essentially we're coming alive spiritually, but people are searching. And, you know, what? if Bigfoot is their big mission, then they'll go after Bigfoot until they experience the Holy Spirit and His work on the earth through uh, us. You know, it's, it's just such an interesting thing. And so let me just get right down into this. You know, the topic of the Holy Spirit in church today is sadly not discussed very often. I would say we as a church have not discussed that enough as well. What is it? How does it work? What are, wh why is he important or the, or the, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit important? Mm. And, and you know what? <clears throat> I've seen the misuse of the name of the Holy Spirit, just like people have misrepresented God or even misrepresented Christianity, so that happens. I've seen the abuse, meaning that um, by people's wanting to experience something supernatural, um, they maybe have been taken advantage of in that. And I've seen the avoidance in, in, in some cases too, where we're like, we just don't talk about that because uh, we don't want to scare people um, about the spiritual life. You know, I, I, listen, I, I, I grew up Catholic, um, and then um, I, I went to a what would be a, called a charismatic church, which is a, a high expression of the gifts of the Spirit. And, um, and, and there's nothing against the charismatic or Pentecostal church. I'm, I'm not here to do that. What I'm saying is, like, I saw this extreme expression. And so for me, I kind of got used to the, this, this, like, some stuff people would watch and be like, oh, I cannot do this. You, you know what I'm talking about? Where they'd literally walk into a church and see the environment and go, yeah, this isn't for me, I gotta go. And so I, I just kind of got used to it. And, you know, I don't agree with all the practices, and, um, but there's some beautiful things in it as well, and the encouragement of, like, seeking out the Spirit. Um, yeah, I was uh, visiting a church, Ann and, I, Ann and I have moved here, I, I, you know, I've got four kids, and, um, you know, we're just starting Soundhouse and going, and I wanted to meet with this church who was uh, beginning to practice some very charismatic 
giftings, but in a, in a way that I just don't really agree with. Uh, and so, <laughs> and scripture really didn't either. And so we were uh, in there and they wanted to give me a word. And, and you know what? That's cool. I'll take a word, which means that God's speaking to me on your behalf. And I'm going to tell you something to share it with you. And I, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I didn't use that as a dividing point between myself and them because we're, we're brothers and sisters. We're the body of Christ. Like more destruction and division has been done through this. And so it was just like one of these things where I got a word. It wasn't accurate uh, because uh, I don't even know if I told you. They, they told me that God's telling me that although I haven't been able to have children, Anna, uh, your wife will soon bear children. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think you, she wants to hear that. Um, and uh, we have four, but thank you so much. Um, you know, maybe 16 years ago, but not, not now. And plus, uh, the doctor and I worked out a deal and I cannot have kids anymore. So like, <laughs> It was one of those things that was kind of interesting, you know, and so there's that kind of like maybe just not, 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 not really grounded healthily totally and maybe a little reckless with the word of, of especially prophesying on behalf of God. In the Old Testament, if you misspoke in representing God, it wasn't good for you. <laughs> it didn't go well. So there's a reverence that I think that needs to be always measured in Scripture, but then again, then some churches, it's the opposite, where to speak the name of the Spirit or the movement of the Holy Spirit is almost like saying Voldemort's name in Harry Potter. It's almost like, we'll talk about God and Jesus and the name that we shall not mention or the name that shall not be named. It's kind of weird, where it's like, no, I mean, this is the Trinity. This is the work of God on earth. This is his very presence. I like what St. Augustine said. St. Augustine was probably... One of the most, around 300, 400 B.C., one of the most influential leaders of apostolic fathers of the church outside of the Apostle Paul in how he directed the course of the church. And here's what he said about the Holy Spirit. He said, Oh, Holy Spirit, descend plentifully into my heart. Enlighten the dark corners of this neglected dwelling and scatter there thy cheerful beams. And I, I love that. It's an invitation for the Holy Spirit to dwell and to be a part of your life, to open your heart and where he belongs in his place, in your heart. I titled this message, The Spirit of God, and that's how typically the Old Testament you'll see the Spirit of God was there or the Spirit of God came upon them. This is the Old Testament language for the Holy Spirit of which we call in the New Testament. And so we got to talk about the Spirit of God. Who is the Holy Spirit? I think for most of us Christians, and I think for myself early on as I became a believer, I literally thought the Holy Spirit showed up in Acts chapter 4 in the Bible. I thought maybe this was the first time I would ever see the Holy Spirit. I thought he arrived there. Very much like how I thought Jesus all of a sudden just arrived. That, that, that God eventually, that this is the first time the world has encountered the Holy Spirit. And I was 100% wrong. But let me read why we kind of think this is where the Holy Spirit shows up. Acts 4, 31, it says, And when they had prayed, this is after Christ's 
ascended, and he said he's going to send this helper, the Holy Spirit. And after they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, all filled, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And the Bible says that there was a rushing wind, and which is very, very much the language of the Old Testament in speaking of the Spirit. And so the Spirit goes way, 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 way back before this, though. And it goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis, actually, one in one. The Bible uses this Hebrew word, which is like ruach. And I never use these types of words. Um, but it's an interesting word because what we read as Spirit translated is really ruach, which means wind and energy. It's spirit. And so when the Bible says in Genesis 1, and he talks about the spirit, it's this wind, it's this energy, it's the spirit. And it's kind of interesting, this wind, because it can't be controlled. Have you ever tried to control wind? We have a six-foot fan we're going to bring in here this summer, just so you know. It's very quiet, but it moves wind. But outside, it's useless. It can't do it in a controlled environment. The wind does what it wants to do. It blows where it wants to go. The Bible says the spirit is very much like that. You cannot control it. You cannot contain it. You could try to artificially create it, but it has a way of its own. I'll be riding down the riverbed on a bike. Have you ever done this? Where you're riding down the riverbed and there's wind all the way there against you and then you're riding the way back and somehow the wind shifted and it's all the way against you again and it's not at your back. Oh my gosh. There are so many times that happens. I'm like, why? Ruag, you know, why? Why are you doing this to me? And it's this energy. It's this movement. It's this uncontrollable thing and you cannot direct it the way you think you can, right? But I think the Holy Spirit is like this. It's unpredictable. And we don't like that. It's uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit's unpredictable. And I would say in some ways it's uncontrollable. And I would definitely say for some, though, like the wind, it's undeniable. But it's better just to kind of ignore it sometimes, and we cannot do that. Or in the other way, we think that we can control it, and we cannot do that. And so there's both sides. But there's a pendulum which should rest in the middle and not swing to one side or the other, but it should be at peace and rest with who the Holy Spirit is and how he functions. And so we're just going to do this. This is, to me, uh, if, if I don't finish the sermon, um, I, I will finish it next week and throw our series off. But I'm, I think it's too important to cover this. It's really, really important. Um, the Spirit, I would say we're going to look at this, and we have to look at first three things, but one, we're going to look at the Spirit of God in Scripture. I think that since a lot of us go to, to the New Testament for the Spirit of God, but we've got to go all the way back. And, and by going back, I, I hope you see what I have come to appreciate in the work of the Spirit. Now remember, the Bible says that God does not change. He does not change. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. So keep that in mind when we're reading about the history of the Spirit in Scripture. We're going to see the Spirit operate in three ways. I could spend more time, but these three ways are extraordinarily significant for how we view the Holy Spirit now, knowing that this is how God has operated all throughout the history that we know of mankind in his relationship with God. Light, the Spirit is this. You'll see it in the Old Testament. It's a life-giving presence of God. 
<clears throat> it's life-giving. Where the Spirit is, there's freedom, there's life, there's creation, there is movement. Genesis 1.1, here we go. Very first reference to the Spirit, this ruach, this wind. This is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form or void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, meaning that the, the presence of God was over the nothingness, and then God begins to create through his presence creation, this perfect thing. Have you ever watched this? Um, yeah, I think it, I don't know what platform it was on. I've watched so many things through COVID, but there was a NASA from space. That's what it was, and, and, and it was from the space station. And what they did is they just showed how marvelously connected and perfect the earth is, the creation. Like the, 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 the desert Sahara, Sahara um, like sands blow all the way across. You can see it from the International Space Station. They're blowing all the way across, and it's the fertile ground that fertilizes the Amazon jungle, and you're going, I did not know that. The earth is spectacular. The ecosystem is amazing. It's perfect. It's amazing. And the Spirit of God was the power and energy that created that, the very working. And I think many, many scholars do agree that the Spirit is the life-giving power of God's presence. And I would say for a non-religious person, and they say the term, oh, Mother Earth, they're talking about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God sometimes has this feminine in language, and so it's kind of interesting, Father, Son, Mother, essentially. And I, I wouldn't necessarily line up exactly with that because there's a great disagreement on that, but it's this movement of essentially creating life like a mother, if you will. And so it's this presence of God, we could say it's the Spirit. Romans 8, 8 uh, 11, now we're going to see the Spirit we saw the Spirit at work in Genesis 1. Now we're going to see the Spirit at work in our context and in in, in way the Spirit interacting with us. It says that the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus, so the Spirit raised Jesus by the power of the Spirit from the dead, dwells in you who has raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life. To your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. In Genesis, the Bible says that when God breathed life into Adam and, and Eve, he had his breath into them. It's this ruach. And so now we see it here where the Spirit, power of the Spirit brought life and resurrection to Christ. And also that same Spirit dwells in you to give you life. The Bible says that you are a new creation. And so, God created something new since Genesis 1. And that's the creation of the new you, the spirit through the resurrected belief in Christ. John 3.16 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that's what's born of the spirit is spirit, meaning that the spirit, the Holy Spirit, creates and created you anew through Christ. I think creation was perfect, but you know what? Sin corrupted this world. We could see on a mass scale the corruption of sin through dynasties, through powers, through just individual people, um, you know, uh, 
being destructive with the, with the life and gift that they have or even destructive towards others. It was perfect. And then sin entered the world and mankind has given into its power in a way. But it spread throughout the human heart. And so if you could look at an actual, like if there was a spreading of a, um, pr a problematic situation for the world, it was in the human heart, in that condition. And so what did the Spirit come to do to change the human heart? So the Spirit arrives, if you will, and begins to do the transformation, the new creation of the human heart, the actual source of the issue. And so he gives life, he changes heart, he brings on a new creation. So you know that's the Old Testament, we see the Spirit in his creative power. And in the New Testament, we see his working of the power. And when it comes to you, his new creation. But then we see like the empowerment of the Spirit in the Old Testament. Now this is interesting. I have a bunch of things on the screen here. But in Genesis 41, you probably didn't think about this is the Holy Spirit. But Joseph was the very first one to be overcome by the Spirit. And, and the Spirit would come upon them or rush upon them, the Bible would say. And Joseph operated in the Spirit. So he was very much spirit-led. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God speaking through him. Even Pharaoh said, this man is not like any other. He must be spirit. <clears throat> so there was something important there. And then you go on from Numbers 11, Moses, he's, he's in the presence of God, the spirit of God, and then he has the presence upon him, and he's, he's covered with the spirit. And then he brings the 70 elders in there, filled with the Spirit, essentially, not an indwelling, but they're filled with the Spirit. And then uh, Moses says, man, I wish everyone could have the Spirit the way we have the Spirit. Genesis 21, Deuteronomy 24, Joshua is then filled with the Spirit or covered with the Spirit or anointed with the Spirit. Balaam, even an enemy of Israel, was filled with the Spirit. He was a prophet who was against Israel. He actually died trying to kill Israelites. And he was overcome by the Spirit, prophesied truth from the Spirit. Judges, there's lots of judges. Uh, Othnel rushed by the Spirit. Uh, judges 6, Gideon was clothed in the Spirit and did unbelievable things. Judges 11, uh, 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 wow, Jephthah, wow, I, I can't believe I didn't get that. Jephthah, uh, Judges uh, 13, Samson, you can see he would be filled with the Spirit and do these incredible acts through the Spirit. Saul was filled with the Spirit, prophesied, and was anointed, and the Spirit rested upon Saul. He did not indwell in Saul, because when the Spirit dwells in our case, the Spirit does not leave. In Saul's case, the Spirit left him. And so David even said in Psalms, oh God, I pray that your Spirit does not leave me when David was in his sin. And so David was filled or covered with the Spirit. All of the prophets were um, uh, covered or rushed upon them to prophesy. All of these people have something in common that is different than us. These are all national leaders. These were people used to usher God's people, his people, as a collective and lead them through. So it was the touch of the Spirit that got Israel down the road of history, but little by little, with the very presence of God. Moses did not get his wish that everyone experienced the Spirit that way. We did. But 
that is what the Spirit did in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and there were others who had specific tasks by the Spirit that were used in a moment. The Spirit would overcome them and they would do the work of God. But then look at this, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even the remote parts of the earth. Meaning this is that it will start here, but the Spirit will empower you to go to the entire world, ring by ring by ring out geographically. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and of discipline. Oh, I love that. Or sound mind, some people would say. I love that passage. It's not a spirit that is of timidity. And it makes sense because look at the spirit that came upon those in the Old Testament. That was not a timid spirit. Like when Samson was filled with the spirit, overwhelmed with the spirit, he did things It made him fearless. I don't know if you're going to be able to like bench pressure car, right? I think God was doing something specific to shepherd this nation through history to the point of Christ. But the Spirit is power, and it's a power that God has in you. And that might be a power just to even overcome an addiction. That might be a power to leave and go to another country and preach the gospel in very difficult situations. I don't know that power, but the Spirit gives it in a way that is not fear. It is it is, um, ultimately, like Timothy says, it's power, love, and discipline. The third thing of the Old Testament where you see the Holy Spirit is the dwelling place. So we talked about creation and its creative life. We talked about this empowerment or endowment of the Spirit at moments and times, but never an indwelling, only, over, only an empowerment. But then there's the dwelling place of God and in scripture. And let me explain this. The dwelling place of God is this, is that he dwelt in a few different places. Four references in the Bible. I think it's in like Genesis. It's called the house of God. And then there's Exodus. He dwells on the mountain. Then there's the tabernacle, right, that they build for God to dwell there. His presence very much there. His spirit there. Dwelling place amongst the people. Not individually in each one. Just in the center of the people. And then you get the temple that was built by Solomon, planned by David, prophesied by David, finished by Solomon. Solomon was never overcome with the Spirit. His father was. And so this is a unique situation where God has this place that says, I'll meet you here with my presence in a unique way. Different than creating the world. Different than an empowerment to usher the nation through. The tabernacle, the sanctuary, the place where God's presence meets people does something interesting. It's not to increase their faith, right? They just walked out of the Red Sea. <laughs> they just defeated the greatest dynasty literally in the history of the world, a 1,500-year dynasty, and they just walked out. I mean, it's, so they don't doubt God's ability but what God does at the sanctuary is very, very important to understand for the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And we'll get through a lot of this throughout the series. But I think God wanted to dwell amongst his people. He had them build a temple or a tabernacle. And he says, I'll meet you here. One thing that was really interesting is whenever there's the tabernacle, you saw it on the mountain. The mountain was on fire. They saw this, the top of the mountain's on fire. And I don't know about you, but when I was driving by one day when there was these fires, 
years and years ago, and it was like Irvine was on fire. I remember driving down this down the highway or the freeway, and I was like, that mountain's on fire. Do you ever have you ever seen that? It's freaky coming from the Midwest where we don't even have hills. Like this was a mountain on fire. And so God originally dwelt there and they were in awe of what's happening at the top of this mountain. And then when the tabernacle was built, a fire came and rested down upon it. It's very, very significant for what we're going to talk about in a minute about God's presence resting over his temple. But, you know, even Aaron, the, the priest appointed uh, relation to Moses, was uh, asked to keep these flames going morning to night to, to, for, in front of God's presence. So this fire meant that is the, signified that God was there, okay? And I don't think when he was there, it wasn't going, but he was there. And so it was a big job, right? We, the, if you look at uh, in, in Israel now, the menorah, that's very much that, right? It's the seven, you know, parts of the lamp. And so they're lit, they're, 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 it's tradition. It's connected to another tradition later down the line. But ultimately, this was the lamp of God, meaning that his flame burns here. God's presence is with us. And though from the sanctuary, though, this is where it's different. And you have to know this for your spiritual walk is that in the sanctuary, what did God do there? He sanctified the people. He changed their behavior. These people were slaves in a, in, in a pagan land with a thousand gods, essentially. And they had to come out under one God. And he changed the very way they behaved, the very mentality that they had. And you see all of this change happening from the sanctuary he atoned their sins, and so there's a sacrificial system of which their sins would be atoned through the life of another thing. And so there became this great atonement system that came out of that in this sacrificial system. But he directed them from the tabernacle. He gave them guidance. He was their guide. He blessed them, and he communed with them. Most importantly, Moses would commune with God at the tabernacle and everyone was in awe of this. Now, that's the Old Testament, right? And these are the locations of God, right? Like I said, those different locations, you cannot hold God in one spot, and he will not be held in one spot. And so, sure enough, when Christ resurrected, it threatened those in power who held God in one spot, and he said, no longer do I dwell there for you. I dwell for everyone who follows me in Christ. But it was his presence with his people. But check this out. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you, now this is post-resurrection, that you are God's temple and that the Spirit dwells in you? Now, never in the Old Testament was there an indwelling. The Spirit could leave. Now we have an indwelling. The Spirit remains. And so it's a fascinating look. And if you read back to Pentecost, which is the most famous verse in Scripture about the Holy Spirit, in the arrival of what we would say the Holy Spirit arrived, the, the Holy Spirit's no different. He shows up, and what happens at Pentecost? There's a rushing wind, the Ruach. It's there. The Spirit's present. His energy's there. The place shook. Everyone was afraid. But then what appeared above their heads? A flame. So God is saying, you are my temples now. I rest here. There's a lot of significance, and the Bible is so connected and I hope that you maybe can see that God has been in this process of settling his temple, his presence, not just somewhere, but right here. 
and it changes everything about how we should live. If you knew God was here in this place, and you could visit occasionally, but we saw a flame above here, in a supernatural, essentially, flame, and you were like, okay, today we're going to be in the presence of God. Do you think you just be like, oh, cool flame, yeah, all right, anyways, um, I'm just going to get about, no, you'd be like, uh, okay, God, please, um, you know what I mean? You'd be so, like, you know, approaching, and God says, you are my temple, and that's why the, the temple's taken seriously, like, don't, don't destroy your temple, don't abuse your temple, don't mistreat where God has put his presence, and so it's a very big deal, but Pentecost is just the beginning of the new covenant's temple, you, each and every one of you, and that should make you feel some kind of way, I guess, you know, maybe a little different. I will say this, and if I have time, uh, the Holy Spirit in the Trinity, we should talk about that. The Trinity is very complex by the triune God. If anybody want to take a stab at it, uh, I've read books and books and books. And if anybody says, honestly, that, you can, that they can explain the Trinity to you, how exactly the Trinity works, they're lying to you. Is that right? It's complicated. It's confusing. But there are clues that God gives us throughout Scripture. But I don't think anyone can define God. He can't be defined. And it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. So I saw this analogy, and I thought it was good, and I can only maybe use my fingers to do this. But, like, you have to imagine when we think about the Holy Spirit, the triune God and the part of it, that what we as people experience God in these three parts but one God, and we're experiencing him all throughout the pages of history and in our own life, it's almost like we're 2D people being encountered by a 3D God. And from their view, they would see my fingers and they would only see the touching of my fingers and be like, there's that it showed up here, and it's that way, and, 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 but they're all different, and it's separate. But really, if you were to see the 3D me, you would see that these are all connected as one in different operation, but all one. It's very, that's probably the best way that I myself can get my head around the triune God. But understanding the triune God is beyond us, but we can look at some of these clues. We just talked about the Spirit all throughout Scripture, but God the Father so there's God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, and then there's God. You got it? <laughs> okay, so we talked about God the Spirit. We just heard all about that. God the Father, <clears throat> there's a few passages in Scripture. Two of them, the prominent ones, are in Isaiah. But I'm going to read this one. It's in Deuteronomy. And, 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 and this is what's being said to the people of Israel. You are the sons of the Lord your God. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. And out of all peoples, you are uh, all people who are on the face of the earth, meaning that God's chosen you. And so there's where they first, Israel, they don't see God as maybe their own father. They see God as the father of the nation. So this is why it's so offensive when Jesus says, talks about God in the person of like, oh, God, my father. That is a big difference, and that's what got him on the cross. My father, not our father. And so Jesus began to personalize the father, and that's why we can call God our father. You can say my father in heaven, right? 
this was extraordinarily offensive to the people of his time, right? But when they talked about God the Father in the Old Testament, it was the Redeemer, God our Father, the nation's Redeemer. And then there's God the Son, Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night, this is Daniel's vision of the Son of Man coming, right? So the Son has always been there, right? The Bible says in John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the first kind of explanation that Christ has also been here all the time. But I saw uh, night visions, behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came uh, to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And so... The, 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 the Father and the Son and how they play each individual roles are parts of God differently, but all the same. And so it's very fascinating to me, and I would say this, for the first moment you're going to see it, where the triune God is all in one place at one time represented. And it's in Luke 32, uh, 3, uh, 22. It says, And the Holy Spirit descended upon him, Jesus' baptism, and in bodily form like a dove, the Spirit, and the voice came out from heaven, You are my, this is the Father's voice, beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, the Trinity. One but the same but different. In a 3D world, God, in our 2D understanding, yeah, we don't understand. But I will say that I believe more in that possibility and, and give that a shot more than I will Bigfoot. I promise you that. Like, let me put this graphic up. If you, have, if you have an ESB Bible, it should be in your graphic. But this might give you an understanding of the Trinity, maybe just a little bit better. There is the Father, and the Father is not the Son. There's the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, vice versa, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But all of them are God. That's the only way I can just show you. It's unique. It's special. And with, the, with Christ in that moment, where all three are in that moment, and Christ living in us, the Spirit living in us, and we are the children of God, then wow, is that not an incredible, uh, life-changing uh, understanding of God and His people. I'll say this last thing, we'll end on this. Um, Chad and I, we always talk about this. We talk about, man, mysticism. This, this mysticism is this belief that God is present and active amongst us, right? And so he is around us. The Holy Spirit is moving around us. He's moving on your hearts now, maybe. He's, the reason you're a Christian is because the Holy Spirit was moving on you. The only way you could be a Christian is it's almost like this. The Holy Spirit is introducing you to Christ, and then Christ is sealing you in with the Holy Spirit for eternity. So it's this unbelievable combo. But the reason you are is because the Spirit is present and everywhere. If you can believe in quantum physics, you can surely believe that everything is connected through the Spirit, and He is moving on the hearts of people changing the hearts. It's not a deism thing where God is very distant and he's just going like, let's run the clock out here. Let's see how you guys do. Here's my little ant farm. And sometimes like, you know, maybe I'll give it a little nudge and then freak them all out with like COVID or, you know what I mean? Whatever. <laughs> he's not doing that. It's very active, present. But I, I think that in some ways we've, <laughs> this sounds really weird to use this word, but we, you know, some churches have excommunicated the Holy Spirit. We sang that song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Why do we even have to sing that? I love the song, Jess, wherever you are. I think it's great. I think that we should make that statement, but we have to sing that for a reason because there's been an excommunication in some way of the Holy Spirit. 
It, it doesn't belong in the church. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the driving force of the church. I think the la- there's a lack of interest. It's undefinable, and so, far, so therefore it's uninteresting to us. I would say our definitions, there are also definitions that are incorrect and they're unhealthy. And, um, and so some people just go, you know what, let's just, uh, let's move on from that. But that's not, that's not going to empower the church to do the work of the ministry. It, it, it's not that the Holy Spirit is not in you, it's salvation. He is. It's the power of your resurrection. It's through the Holy Spirit. And the indwelling is the... Uh, the, I would say the event that never happened throughout the entire Old Testament, but is happening now in you. But we have to really realize that Scripture has given us a tremendous amount of guidance and direction on the Holy Spirit, and at least the, to the best of what we know from Scripture, because you could really go off the rails. I think if someone who believes in Bigfoot becomes a Christian and doesn't have good theology around the Holy Spirit, we're going to see some really weird stuff, wouldn't you think? I'm sorry to say it. If somebody, one in ten, believes that there's vampires and they, and they are starting to read about the Holy Spirit and they're like, there's demons everywhere. Like, it's like, oh, calm down. Calm down. There's, you know, and vampires. Well, you know, like we have to make sure that it's grounded in good, solid theology. And I think that's why it's hurt a little bit. But I would say Christianity has a mystical side and we'll wrap up with this. It does not require, it does not require a complete openness, but it does require openness. I'm cautious, this is what I say, but I'm open. You know, I'm always skeptical. Like, I'm going to, like, listen to you with a smile on my face, but in my head I'm turning, like, I'm measuring it against Scripture, I'm measuring it against, like, actions I've seen, I'm going, it doesn't really line up. But I'm just going to listen and try to hear it, and then we're going to have to deal with this in a little bit. Like, I'm cautious. Just like when I got the word about us having eight kids instead of four, that's fantastic. You know, I'm going to measure it. I'm cautious, you know, but I'm open. But then I was like, "Mm, no, that doesn't work. And so, you know, (laughs) I think this is God cannot be controlled. He cannot be stopped. And God always finds a way. You know, every time the church or the move of God has been trying, it's like a river. All throughout from the movement of the church era, it's like a river. And since it's individual, it makes it more special. Because you can stop a nation, but you can't, you know, in some ways, but you can't stop the individual. It's like a virus to the devil, essentially. And, and, and it's a river. It flows. And so when Rome tried to put its grip on Christianity, once it made it a state religion, uh, the monastic movement and other movements began to happen, and the Spirit of God began to develop a community there. And when, it, when the community of God in the, in the monastic movement stayed there, then it began to flow into another place of history, and you can see it flowing. And, and what we do as humans, we try to dam it all up and go, we want to just keep this like this. We want to control it. And then, you know, the Spirit finds a way and flows and moves. We just have to make sure that we're cautious as the Spirit's moving. And I think in some ways, when we see the charismatic or Pentecostal church, we would, we would say that, oh, like um, the Spirit's moving and this is exactly how it moves. And that's not always the case, but it is a response to the, to the absolute excommunication of the Holy Spirit is the charismatic movement. They felt judged because they're feeling the Spirit. And sometimes it even goes further. And then maybe they, the pendulum goes too far because it was all the way over here and it swung all the way over, but it really should be right here rooted and directed in Scripture. Cannot be controlled. It's damaging if we swing too far, though, and it hurts people. Obviously, I'll just list these off for a second. There's fake healers. You've seen that, right? Like people who, like, pull the shoe out, and they're like, look, God healed you. And then they walk out later, and they're like, oh, wait, what? Right? 
There's fake healers, people who use this. There's gold glitter and there's angel feathers. I'm not saying that that can't happen, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't. And then over-emotional displays where it's like that's not about what the Spirit is about. I don't see that very often in the Bible, what you're doing. And so we have to be mindful of that. Not, not, not just judge the person right away, but seek out its evidence and its fruit. I've been in service where people barked. Have you ever heard of that? Someone barked and said it was the Holy Spirit barking. And I was like, no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> he did use the donkey to speak. And I do want to call you the other name of the donkey, but he did not do that. There are snake handlers that like watch me handle these. If I bite I'll, a deadly serpent, I'll, I'll be fine. And then they die, you know. But then there's the other side. Chad told me the story of this guy who was visiting a church and he had just a, his expression of worship was just raising his hands and then the church that he visited on vacation didn't do that. And, and then, and then um, he did it and he was the only one and everyone was freaking out. And then it was just his expression of worship. The Bible says lift up holy hands. We could do that when we want to do that. And uh, they had a church meeting afterwards saying, how do we stop this? What are we going to do about this? And it's like, whoa. There's a place in the middle that's healthy, but we as sound household, this is that, you know, God is active and He is personal in our lives. His presence dwells here. You're a new creation. You've been resurrected with Christ. All of the Holy Spirit of the Old Testament lives inside of you, and essentially you have a flame over your head that says the temple. Well, what do you do with that? We engage Him, God, through the Holy Spirit. Let's close. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your scripture that guides us and directs us. And God, we just ask for a humble heart as we even approach this topic of the Holy Spirit. We do not want to push aside the work of the Spirit. We do not want to uh, try to control or try to um, manipulate in any way the Spirit. God, we take it serious as those Old Testament prophets that we cannot represent you in a wrong way. And we hold that to be reverent to us. And God, we just thank you that your spirit moves and it's moving in each one of us, God, in so many different ways. You sanctify us. You're leading us to change. Giving us the power to do so. You took the atonement of our sins through the work of resurrection. And God, that you commune with us, that we can pray and communicate like Moses did when he sat in the tabernacle and he communed with you, God. We do that through the Spirit. And go, so God, if we push Spirit out of our life, we apologize. We want to course correct and seek you out for who you are. Not for what we want you to be, but who you are. We ask that you move in our presence every single day that we experience everything that you have to offer the Christian in Christian life as a resurrected new creation through your work. So Holy Spirit, yeah, you're welcome here. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing this last song?